Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. I hope everyone's well. We are now through Thanksgiving here in the United States, so on our way to the holidays until the end of the year and the end of the decade. So I hope you are able to spend some time with friends and family. So on this week's episode of the show, I'm really happy to chat with Molly Bao, who is a senior manager at Accenture. Um, She is very engaged in the climate policy that they are working on there at Accenture. And I first met Molly at a design thinking workshop uh, with some of my colleagues here at the Urban Institute. And I enjoyed the design thinking workshop so much and enjoyed the process by which we went through and worked through the challenges and policy ideas that we had in mind that I asked Molly to come over and chat with me about design thinking workshops in general, how she facilitates those, what's important to uh, have those workshops work for attendees and for people who are participating. So along with this idea of how we present information to an audience and how we visualize data in a report or on a website, I thought Molly's work at Accenture and the work that she has done with us and obviously with others was really interesting and to think about how we can engage our audience or engage stakeholders to create something new and to work in ways that maybe they're not used to working with. In this case, actually standing up, actually talking, (laughs) actually using post-it notes and drawing and writing and all these techniques that maybe we don't use that often, but can be really powerful tools in our arsenal to get people thinking, get people up and moving and working with their ideas. So I found it to be a really fun conversation, as you'll hear, and I think it'll be really educational and enlightening for you as well. So I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode of the show with my interview with Molly Bow. And here is that interview. Hi, Molly. Hi, John. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. You're it's welcome. Right. <laughs> I'm using my radio voice, radio John. Bo- <laughs> Hello. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good. Um, how are, thanks for coming over. Yeah. I, I didn't know if I'd make it because our Nats won our Nats, the World Series last night. And so it's a very, very late night, early morning. Late, it's been a late, like, few weeks now. For the record, you are sporting Washington Nats colors. I am. I am. Well and, done. And it's, and it's a little um, it's a little hot here today. So I'm, you're I'm, making it work. I'm making it work. You're making I'm it trying work. to make it work. I'm just trying to like stay awake for another 24 hours. We can do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me give folks a little bit of background. So some of the team from Urban went over to Accenture to you guys to do a design thinking workshop for a number of different reasons, mm-hmm. primarily to talk about how our data and tech team can work with the research team. Mm-hmm. And we did this great full day workshop with you and, and your team and I've done a few design thinking workshops, but this one I thought was really phenomenal. And that's so, because I was facilitating. Well, that's because you're. <laughs> and I designed the workshop. Of course, right. I'm right. also very humble. <laughs> and you've got a good radio voice. I mean, there we right, have right. it. Um, so I thought we could talk about that, um, talk about your background a little bit, and talk about. I think I'm curious in how you got into the design thinking sure. work and what it takes to run a good workshop like that. And. Uh, I know you do a lot of these other workshops in, in lots of other fields and sectors, so I'm curious about how you how you build all these. So maybe to give people a little bit of background, you can talk a little bit about how you got to where you are. Yeah, yeah super circuitously. Yeah. In an <laughs> entirely, yeah. entirely yeah. just random rabbit hole kind of right. way. Right. So the, the long story short is I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You can't quite tell that because I was a radio and television journalist and the accent was beaten out of me. Beaten out of you, right? I was in I was in 
J school at the University of Georgia. Uh, and I had a professor, we used tape recorders back then, say, Miss Bao, do you hear how you sound? And I said, yes, sir. yes, sir, I do. And he said, don't do that ever. And so <laughs> beat the accent right out of me. How'd it go out? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. My beat was always environmental and energy and the nexus of that and policy. And uh, I did that because as a kid, I wanted nothing more than to run with the uh, lions and the animals. Uh, and National Geographic Discovery Channel was just our jam. Zoo camp was my first camp. And so just growing up in Louisiana, which is the, the moniker is the sportsman's paradise. It's just, it's a beautiful place. So we did a lot of outdoor activities and I was always really drawn to that. And so mm -hmm. I, I was drawn to tell stories about that in school. And uh, there's, there's the... Um, Little known fact to those not in the South that Louisiana is under massive environmental pressures. We lose a football field of land every 45 minutes to coastal erosion. We built these incredible, the Army Corps of Engineers built these incredible levees that actually prevent natural alluvial flooding and re reclamation of land. And so without getting into it, I care deeply about telling the environmental energy policy story mm -hmm. and trying to surface solutions and have, have focused conversations around that. So I, I went to J School, studied journalism at the University of Georgia and added on political science as a, a major and wanted to continue in that vein and so came up to D.C. to be the next Christian Amanpour and joined uh, the Elliott School of International Affairs at GW to get my master's in mm -hmm. international affairs. But the idea was that I would, I would parlay that into a field journalism career and go right. out and be on the front lines of, of things. Things slightly shifted uh, when 9-11 happened two weeks after I started grad school, so here we are, group of, of folks studying international affairs, and the world order is flipped on its head, yeah. and most of us went into the national security sector. So I quickly joined a small startup with a mentor who was also a professor who taught me a class in formal briefing, so mm -hmm. it was all about telling stories, but through this new medium called PowerPoint, where you, <laughs> I was used to pulling things together and taking stories and finding themes and uh, translating them into ways people could hear. And here was a brand new medium through which you could tell stories that seemed to be the norm in Washington. Yeah. So I took that, we connected, I did a startup, and then I hopped from national security company to company and wound up in the intelligence community and did that for many years through big professional services firms. And I really, really wanted to talk about the existential threat that was climate change. Mm -hmm. So that was the bigger picture to me. And so made a jump into Accenture, the mm -hmm. firm that I found you in, we found right. each other in. Right. And the, so I, this is, I lied when I said this is a short story. So I'm, let, me, let me get to the quick of it. <laughs> so I, I at Accenture am helping drive our clean energy transition work. So trying to make the business case for energy transition with our utility clients. How do you help them decarbonize and drive electrification of transit of the built environment, mm -hmm. doing energy management as a service, helping people with um, a e-mobility, if you will. So all of those attendant services require brand new thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm the innovation lead at one of our largest utilities and trying to get them to pivot from what has historically been a monopoly that was disrupted with deregulation. It just, utilities are being cannibalized by new entrants and deregulated markets. You're seeing the rise of renewable and the price parity of clean tech just yeah. destroy their classic business models. And so it is a ripe time for innovation 
in business models, in tech, in the way we engage customers. Utilities still call their customers ratepayers, bless their little hearts, and they just think of them as someone who's going to buy the monopoly of electricity. Yeah. But for the fact that that's not the case, and that continues not to be the case uh, for many, many folks who are uh, seeing deregulation just upend their, their fundamental way of life, which is a good thing for mm -hmm. consumer choice. So we're, we're trying to decarbonize, decentralize, and digitize this sector, and it's just, it's got phenomenal implications for climate change, right. which is the existential crisis of our time. So I essentially try to make the, the business of transition work for folks, mm -hmm. and that requires a lot of new uh, cross-functional, multidisciplinary thinking, which is a really long way of saying design thinking is one of the ways that we bring people into a room together and get them to go to brand new places. And so you you asked me, John, to come talk yep. about design thinking, which is the, the workshop we were, uh, the methods we were using to surface new ideas for, for you guys. And in a nutshell, design thinking or human-centered design is a way of developing solutions in the service of people. It's a series of methods that form into a discipline. And those methods help you move into right brain contextual thinking versus left brain analytical textual thinking right. to help understand how to make ideas stick. So ideas are a dime a dozen. Coming up with ideas, never been a problem. Yeah. But design thinking is a rigorous method to think big and fail fast because mm -hmm. it's a heck of a lot simpler to take a eraser to a whiteboard than a sledgehammer to a construction site. So it's got a couple of tenants that are, that are pretty fundamental to it. It is a way of rapidly iterating on ideas. Do you know how many times it took Dyson to come up with the first vacuum? Well, like the hand, is, handheld vacuum. All I know is when I go to the store and I see the fan every time I go, I still put my hand in the. You got it. The, you got yeah, it. You, yeah, you, you got it. Like because that's what you did as a kid. Like you know, it hits the little tips of your <laughs> right, fingers there. Right. That's right. Over a thousand. Yeah. Right. So the, the man was was relentless in trying to find the right design for this this handheld vacuum, and that's one of the central central tenets is that. You think big, but you fail fast and learn and then apply what you've learned into that next iteration. So it's iterative, it's prototype driven. You're not just opining and admiring the problem. You're getting it off the flipping page and you're mm -hmm. prototyping a thing that's tangible, tactical, practical, so that you can put into play and see how people react to it. And that's right. the idea. Instead of you thinking what's best for your customers or your humans, you yeah. actually have real humans right. react actually, to it. Right. And then you observe and you listen and you... You drop your ego because you need to be willing to accept and absorb that feedback intelligently. Yeah. And so we we try to get people out of a classic group think of they know what's best and try to create what we call serious play environments that mm -hmm. stimulate that right brain creative mm -hmm. aspect. And so when you were doing the methods with us in that urban design yep. thinking session, I had you up, I had you guys moving, I had you guys gamify, I had you guys compete with voting with, yep. with each other's ideas. And and so that that's how we, we brainstorm. And, and the idea is that we start with volume of ideas and diverge wildly. If you think about mm -hmm. the bottom part of a diamond, you just get way out there to think about net new ideas. We frame the, the problems in a thoughtful, intentional way. Yeah. And we always start with a how might we because it, it, it is structuring the problem in a way that says, 
might there there is a problem we it's it's collaborative and how we we think there's a solution there but we're not saying that we're not prescribing the solution embedded in the the question we're not saying um so how are we going to get more users to listen to Sony through better headsets, right? right? That presupposes you're listening to music offered by Sony through headsets right. versus just getting customers to be our best advocates because we've got this brand new business model of iTunes or, or whatever it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. right? And so the bottom of that pyramid is wildly divergent to get you to new places and spaces. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you were a horse and buggy maker and I said, John, I need you to make a better horse and buggy. Well, you just go get a faster horse, yeah. right? You're not going to think about how do I capture electricity and make yeah. a car, right? right? right. Yeah. One of these things is not the other. Yeah. If I said, my God, your candle, it's just not, it's not bright enough. We need more, we need better. And you're just going to thicken the wick and candle. exactly get a better yeah. candle, right? right? And so design thinking is about how do you take those ideas and just, you never say no. It's mm -hmm. a yes and, and you just get as many as you can. And that's the thinking big part, thinking wild and outlandish. Mm -hmm. And a good facilitator is going to synthesize the kernels of those ideas to start building. But then the top of the diamond starts to converge, right? Mm -hmm. So if the bottom is divergent, getting ideas out there, the top then converges to kick those tires because that's the fail fast, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't just noodle endlessly, right? It'll cycle and you'll get so far down the line. Then that's the, that's the construction site to which you need to take a sledgehammer. Right. So this is the whiteboard and an eraser concept. So that's the, the, the central tenets of design thinking. It's human-centered, it's playful, it's iterative, it's prototype-driven, right. and it's collaborative to get cross-functional folks in parallel think and not group think. So when you are working with groups, I, I, I like to actually think of the, the energy climate change area that you're working with, because I, I, in my head... So do I. In my head, I'm thinking about someone from an energy company, another energy company, people within, you know, regulators, all sorts of people sort of in the room. When you are working with groups who are in the room, how do you, I suspect that a lot of them may be looking at the post-it notes and the markers and the whiteboard and saying, that's not serious. So how do you, how do you like break down those barriers to be like, we're, it's, it's okay. Right. We're, we're thinking broad here. Right. We're going to get to what you might consider the serious part, but we, we need to start at this, this ground level here. I let them know what the outcome is. So, so one is progressive disclosure. I, I take them along bit by bit and I give them the so what, why they should care. Mm -hmm. And so when we are starting to solution, we try to get down to the root cause of something. So before we even start to solution, and I, I'm circuitously answering your question. I'm going to come back to the yeah. heart of it in just a second. So just two days ago, I was up in Philadelphia and we were trying to crack a ridiculously complex nut with how you evaluate how assets are deployed in the field for utilities. So if I put up a pole or a transformer, or if I you know, make wires, wh whatever those things are, yeah. how do I know that that was a good investment? How do I actually evaluate that? And the system is just garbage for which they get feedback on what was deployed, how much was deployed. And part of it is a process, part of it is just a, a strategic structural challenge, and then part of it's just, it's, it's candidly, the, the tech that enables it. Yeah. And so I had a lot of serious engineers in the room and they walk in and there are whiteboards and post-it notes right. and a whole bunch of concept posters. And it's a super light, uh, bright room with no chairs. So right. stepping okay. around, yeah. right? right. A lot no of very important, there's right. no, no, yeah. no yeah. poor, poor right. computer. They were soaked fish out of water. Yeah, poor, yeah, yeah. poor guys, fish out of water. They just <laughs> awkwardly stood around. And so uh, the idea is we said, look, I, this is this is all about helping you guys succeed. And so you, you let them know what the value proposition of these exercises yeah. are. And and I ask them, like, do you, do you think the process today 
is great, and and who here is 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 completely happy? And they're like, well, no, no, no not not at all. And so you start to build a little bit of empathy and let them know that you're, you're listening to them. Yeah. And then we before we even started in on the post-it note of what the solutions might be, mm-hmm. we started getting down to the root cause. And so we started with, with without getting too wonky, what's called an affinity cluster. And so I said, look, I'm going to give you five minutes time box it. Think of as many challenges to this particular asset assessment process and. Um, and, and tech enablement that you can, and they just went wild because it was almost cathartic yeah, for them, right? So right. it was a way of, of gaining a, a little bit of momentum because it was just an outlet for them. And then instead of just putting it on a post-it note and ignoring it, what the affinity cluster exercise does is now they're standing around and it's on a blank canvas mm-hmm. and I start to take their problems and I say, okay, great. We seem to have some data integrity issues. Who else has that? And then five other people say, oh, I've got a data integrity issue. But then as I start to ask some of the five whys, well, why is that a challenge? Well, what's that a problem? Use more words around that. Mm-hmm. And they started to surface some of the root causes and then then I don't even have to do the work anymore. They're right. starting to point to each other going, yeah, 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 that's a problem. Oh, I see that. And they also see the, the clustering effect of how many other people also see that as a challenge. Yeah. And then it starts to center where you need to be focusing some of your solutions rather than just work on the outlier challenge that might have happened once. It's not really a right. fundamental problem. And so that is one of the ways to, to gain uh, momentum. But these activities are typically time boxed and pressurized Mm -hmm. so you don't have a lot of time to sit there and self-filter and and critique the facilitator because i'm going to keep you up and i'm going to keep you moving Moving, and then i'm going to show you how these progressively build so while we start to uh, unpack some of the problems and then the five whys to really get to the root um we're we're pulling them along with us to say all right now we're going to take that we're going to use that problem set to start brainstorming some of the solutions that are going to help you be successful yeah. with your your boss, your team, your customers, the impact you want to have. Right. So it's a constant reminder of the value proposition of this exercise. So it sounds like part of it is like a group therapy session. <laughs> it's certainly cathartic for some people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But it's also a very different way of working. I mean, how many times have you been in a room where people are up, are collaborating, thinking about huge thoughts? And so we do a lot of, of divergence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, of thoughts. And then they get to converge they get to like vote and bring it together and kick the tires um so they get to see this moving really fast Mm -hmm. it's it's not just a meeting where we're admiring the problem we're getting up and at the end of almost every meeting there is some level of a prototype so they get to take that and then we hold them accountable for what is the next iteration on that so when uh you have you're working with this group you have different levels of expertise different levels of interest how do you, I'm thinking about people who are listening to this who might want to try different exercises with their group. How do you as a facilitator make sure that there's not a person or, a, a, you know, maybe some sub sub people are just like, I'm not doing this. Like, this is stupid. Like, how do you get engagement? Sure, yeah, how do you get them all engaged? Especially for the people I think there's, I'm sure you've run into the people who are just like the never design thinking people, right? Like, this is not serious and I'm not going to do it. So how do you get those like... So surprisingly, John, I I have been forewarned going into say nuclear engineering groups mm-hmm. or or executives, and from the C suite to the tactical practical, uh, it, you have to have a good facilitator, yeah. right? You have yeah, to have yeah. a facilitator who really is it's part art, part science, mm-hmm. and the art is really reading the crowd and understanding how to. Uh, play to their their emotional resonance of why this the set of methods is going to get them to an outcome that they care about. Yeah. So some of that is communication and storytelling. Yep. It's it's also though 
making sure you right size your groups and are entirely intentional about the mix before. So if you walk in and you can just willy nilly let anyone in the door, you are set yourself up for failure. Oh, do not yeah. pass go, do not collect $200. And so this workshop on Tuesday up in Philly, I was maniacal with the the clients that we select the right people. Gotcha. It's a cross-functional group, so there's yep. no group think, it's parallel think. Yeah. So they're challenging each other's ideas. So we had change managers, we had senior leaders, we had junior Bs, we had a vice president rolling in and out. We had um, consultants weigh in as mm -hmm. well. So they're bringing in cross-functional expertise from other industry. And you, you've got to, when I say right size of the group, it's not just the aggregate of the group, but yeah. the sub teams and the working groups. Right. So that when I, when I pull them um, apart, I'm making sure that there is a mix of seniority and the facilitator is, is bouncing back and forth between them. So no one is dominating yeah. and you're actively calling and pulling people into the, you know, make the right. participatory discussion. So you've, you've set up, you've done a lot. It sounds like a lot of pre-work to make yeah. sure you have the right, let's just say 20 people. Yep. When you are in the room, at least the way we did it. Uh, you had us all sitting around this big table yep. doing my favorite icebreaker, which is your first concert. Yeah, exactly. Which, just as a quick aside, because my favorite part of our particular thing, because we had a range of people and ages, one of my colleagues, his first concert was um, Jimi Hendrix. That's right. Which was that's, great. That's 1967. Right. 1967. And then we went around the room and someone else's first concert was Britney Spears. And I was like, that, that's the that is range. That is, that, <laughs> that is, book is the whole thing. That is range, sir. <laughs> that is range. So, so, so you go around this room and then you, you, how do you identify, because presumably you don't want to have all the junior people in their little group and all the vice presidents in their group. You want to mix them up. So yep. as you as a facilitator are going around the room, are you making mental notes of what each person is and saying, okay, I got to make sure that this person is over here and this person's over there? So nine times out of 10, I prearrange the seating because I sit there and I walk with the client and it might take a couple of sessions to do this to yeah. understand the functional background and yep. the range of... of or the depth of their expertise, and then deliberately design, go ahead with using the word design, yeah. the the subgroups, gotcha. right? right? With Urban, we didn't have enough insight, and it was fairly pressed, and so I um, let the, the key client know that we were reserving the right to mix the groups yeah. as we were progressing. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Okay, so can, you've already talked about some of the exercises you do. Can you sort of give me uh, like your top five favorite things that you do in these workshops? Have coffee, <laughs> tell jokes. Food is always good. Take lots of pictures. <laughs> so here's a, here's a classic sequence. Okay. So a group walks in and they think they've got a problem Let's let's wing it with automation, right? You guys were doing an automate sort of digital strategy yeah, play. Yeah, right. A lot of folks are doing automation, and so they they classically come in way too narrow without really understanding the problem, and they say, "We want to use machine learning or artificial intelligence, and or we want to put in a, a ton of bots because bots are the best yeah. ever thing." For stuff and <laughs> right, um, so for um, stuff. yeah, whatever. Yeah, I got a I got a big stuff. hammer and I'm looking for right. shiny objects right. and I'm gonna whack the tar out of it. <laughs> so they want to understand how to methodically pull a portfolio of things they want to automate together, and so that's that's a classic workshop. Okay, okay, super. So we get in, and one of the first things I do is an icebreaker to help people really just understand design thinking. And so this, this really isn't getting to the solution, but th this also puts design thinking um, 
into, I think, perfect relief. When I start, I say, I, I want to do an exercise. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. I explain what design thinking is in much the same language that I just explained to you, but that's, yeah. those are words. They, they bounce off people's heads. Yeah. Right? Let's just like design thinking, let's do something to, to make the example. And I say, I want everyone to draw a present, right? Yeah. Everyone draw a present. John, you did this, yeah, yeah, right? What yeah. did you draw? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to remember. What I know what you drew. You drew a box of a bow. Of course. And everyone draws a box of a bow. I've done this in French, and everyone still draws a box of a bow, right? Cool. Right? Uh, so commonalities across the world. And you can do this in any language, right? Because it, a present sounds like an object, right? And that's how we think as professionals. We're thinking about an object, an outcome, a deliverable, right? Right. And that is not what design thinking is. Design thinking is developing solutions in the service of people. Solutions in the service of people. So we're thinking about the experience, the emotion, all of the endorphins that are rushing to your head when you see that present under the tree and you think it's the the thing you've been yearning for, whether mm -hmm. or not it's the diamond ring because you're about to get engaged or it's a puppy. Hopefully you wouldn't put a puppy well, in a box. box. That's yeah. a little weird. It's a little mid-box of holes. <laughs> all right. Um, so what, whatever, airline, whatever it is. So yeah. you're, you're ripping it open and you're feeling just... Just the, the absolute endorphin rush, you're, you're excited, you're tearing open the paper, there's a little tear in your eye, there's, you know, the warm, toasty glow of the fire, whatever it is, right? Yeah. That's what design thinking is trying to get our designers of solutions, products, solutions, services, change, mm -hmm. to think about what is the experience, because again, ideas are a dime a dozen, mm -hmm. and they fail often, yep. all right? So when you start to think about how humans, because we, we aren't aliens, um, humans are really going to react to this, then you start to design things that will scale, stick, mm -hmm. sustain. That's how to make ideas stick, right. right? And so I just I start by priming them with that kind of, of, of framing to get them into the middle mindset. And then we do an affinity cluster, the one that I was explaining earlier, where I say, great, you want to automate. Well, what are some of the challenges you're trying to automate for? All right? And I typically bound it a little smaller than that. I say, look, within your particular function, what are you trying to solve for? What are the things that are either transactional, they've got you know heavy intensive labor, they're, they're preventing you from really providing the best full service, you know, white glove service or higher order services. What are those things? Mm -hmm. And so then they start to write all this. You always time box. When you time box, you don't self-filter. When you feel like you've got pressure, mm -hmm. you don't have that extra 30 seconds to go, you know what? That's not a great idea, right? right? Because you if you, get as many out it's as volume, it's yeah. quantity over quality right. right there because in that, in that spirit of just unfettered ideation, you could go to places that you wouldn't otherwise allow yourself if you're anchored yeah. to reality. Because at the end of the day, design thinking is about what is desirable, mm -hmm. right? What's sexy and exciting. Cup, that's the thinking big. That's yeah. that's the divergent, right? Yeah. With the convergent effects of what is feasible and what is viable. Yeah. Feasible from a tech or process perspective and viable from a business perspective. Are people going to buy this? Not just once because it was shiny, right? I didn't, right. I download the, the Pokemon Go app because it was super easy, but right. you know what? You know what Pokemon Go is right now? Me neither, yeah. right? right. Yeah, me <laughs> me, me, me yeah. neither, right? Yeah. So it is finding that intersection of 
desirable, feasible, and viable. And so we start to wildly diverge with all the problem sets in that affinity mm -hmm. cluster, and then we converge around some of the top two themes. And you can see it visually because you're using Post-it notes, right? And the reason that we use Post-it notes is we don't want to commit too much. I don't give you an entire page to write a missive. Yeah. I just want the concept, the idea. And actually, if I get you to do a visual of that and draw it, you're stimulating the right side of your brain, yeah. R-centered, our, our R-directed thinking. Uh, to contextualize what what is happening, right? Hmm. So actually thinking with different synapses when you're thinking visually, visually right? Yeah. And design thinking is a very visual medium. And because we're trying to draw those patterns, draw those connections, so I then can see how things are clustering together in terms of density of problem. And we generally land on the two biggest, divide the groups up. This these two tables take this, you know, oh, big okay. problem set. So that's say that's governance, right. right? Which has nothing to do with the actual digits and widgets, yeah. right? Yeah. It turns out that these folks want automation because they're stressed, stressed and strapped for time because there's no portfolio prioritization and everything's a fire and everything's equally important. So if they had a better rationalization of their time, mm -hmm. they could time sequence and they could go deeper on things and maybe automation is relevant, but what we're really getting at was the heart of their problem is in yeah. total lack of governance over their portfolio, right, right, right? right? which happens every single time. Yeah. Right? Turns out it's it's almost always non-technical challenges, even though I'm not dismissing there's incredible value in right, automating right. the right things, but you have to automate the right processes, which presupposes you have the right processes. Right. So you've got to do that work first, Identify right? That first, exactly. Yeah. So so you you then divide the group into nailing down what are the what are the critical problems that have just emerged. And then you put the three magical words together, uh, what the Harvard Business Review said were the three most powerful words in business, how might we? And mm -hmm. you start to frame up the how might we problem. Right. And you you cannot bake in the solution to that. It's not how might we make a better Walkman with better earbuds. It's, mm -hmm. you know, how might we create the best listening experience, right? Gotcha. How might we scale music appreciation? Something that is it is it is broad enough to not presuppose a set of solutions, business models, or technical mm -hmm. options, right? Yeah. Because it might be all of the above or one. Right. And so you spend a little time thinking about the right how might we framing to solve for their respective challenges. Mm -hmm. And then you start to, um, another one you could do is uh, what's called crazy eights. So everybody has eight ideas to solve for this how might we, mm -hmm. and say they're in a group of five. And so you take little, little post-its or teeny, teeny strips of paper and you draw eight potential solutions mm -hmm. to, to that. And, and you're doing this individually. And then I say, Great, after five quick minutes, right? Yeah. You always time box. So what are three, five minutes, whatever it is. Right. And then I say, great, now rip up two of them. And they're like, uh. what? <laughs> I got my best. Or, or rip up five of them. So they down, they down selected to three, yeah. right? So that's the divergence yep. and now convergence, yeah, right? Now I've gone, I've gone narrow. And so each of them now has three and they have to pitch around the table. All right, and then everybody say there's five people pitching three ideas, 15 ideas. Now I say great. Now down. down select to five. All yeah. right, so they got five on the table, which which is a little painful when you see your baby just you know right, being gone. being thrown out, right, gone. And so then they'll take those five ideas and then they'll throw them up against a value impact matrix, mm -hmm. also an importance difficulty matrix. So along the vertical axes, you've got difficulty along the horizontal axes, you've got value. And you place those five things on the horizontal value axis. Think impact. So how much is it moving the needle in terms of 
your pressing challenges, your strategic growth, they they get to set the, what what that value means, mm -hmm. and they place everything relative to each other. In other words, nothing can occupy the same space. And then once they place that and place that first, right, that's immutable. Mm -hmm. Then they move it up and down the difficulty matrix, right? right? So then you wind up with four quadrants of a quick win, strategic, luxury item, um, dreamer, and you then see start to see how these things stack out in terms of the lift and the impact. And then I let them down select a one through votes. So everybody's got three votes. You can overload your votes and you typically do it with little sticky dots. So yep. you can like visually see where people are voting yeah, and that, that, are. that yep. voting is clustering, exactly. And so then you get to see where your ideas are gaining, gaining traction or who's got the most votes. You can overload on your ideas, spread, spread the field. And then they've got to take that one idea, and this is classically within a four-hour workshop window, yeah. so you're pressing them fast, moving yeah. them fast and hard, right? And then you take that and you put them into that one idea, you flesh it out into a concept poster. And that concept poster has all the attendant pieces of a business case. What's the name? What's the value add? What are the benefits? Right. What's the feature? What's it going to cost? Visualize the concept, and there's a big space in the middle where they're drawing either what the outcome is or the process to get there is, and they've got to draw it, all right? And then you turn around and you pitch that bad boy to the room, right. and the room turns around and this is so they they were noodling on idea they prototyped it but what do we do in design thinking we always converge to right. find the intersection of feasible and viable right you've already got the desirable right then you do room feedback and everybody's got post-it notes um, that are color-coded for things they liked didn't like and things they thought might be emerging we call it rose thorn bud yeah, rose yeah. they liked Thorn they didn't like, bud, something that might be emerging. And you take those little post-it that are colored, you know, pink and green and blue, and you place them on either the concept name, because they actually have a physical concept poster that mm. they've they've pitched to you right. on the concept name or a specific feature. Like I didn't I thought your timing was absolutely wildly, you know, off or your right. your cost was way underselling it, or you needed to add these stakeholders, et cetera. Yeah. So you've got immediate visual feedback. Because right. they're putting that feedback right on top. So you you, you time box them, always time boxing, mm -hmm. to a two-minute pitch. Mm -hmm. And then the room gets just a quick few minutes for feedback. Right. You're collecting that feedback. And then you give the team that created that idea 10, 15 more minutes to absorb that feedback and pitch and it again. Pitch again. Right. So okay, yeah. so that's so just that's just like top ten of, you know, yeah. I didn't count that, so don't hold no, me. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't hold me literally <laughs> if that was ten or not. Um, but that's a that's a quick example of how yeah. you move from we've got an idea we want to go do design thinking to narrowing down on a real root cause. Yeah. And then coming out with categories of challenges and then broadening the how might we so that you're not limiting your or narrowing yourself to a particular solution. And then letting the competition of ideas about those solutions really surface and roll around to pick one. And then you're putting on a value impact scale and picking it and then prototyping it mm -hmm. and getting rapid feedback on it. Yeah. Right? That is a that is a, an example of a classic design thinking session. Right. And how do you make sure that people are being constructive? So the Rosebud Thorn, I remember we did this. Yep. And I seem to recall that you being pretty upfront or clear about like we are not here, we are on a team together. Yeah. They're not here to bring people down. So how do you make sure that people are being constructive and not, I guess, destructive? With right, right. You, you prime them with, a, we, we are all here to, it's it's the making sure they realize that this is in it for them. Right. Like, right. Um, so you start with a couple of rules. It's it's always the classic improv. Yes, and. Yes, and right. Yeah. In, the, in the service of the solution and the service of the people, 
better the end customers of yeah. this solution. And so classically, by that point in mm-hmm. in the day, you've, you've experienced, I've, I've primed you with, or whomever the facilitator is, yeah. is primed with lots of different design thinking examples and you're moving through the methods and folks are pretty revved up yeah. at that time. They're pretty like leaning in hard to yeah. these ideas. And so I've I've not seen any like character assassinations yeah. <laughs> in the restaurant bud critique, but a good facilitator will just smack that down. Right, right. Yeah. So let me ask this last question. Um, you've obviously been doing this for a while. How should people who are listening to this think about if they want to try this kind of workshop or event or meeting? Yeah. Maybe even the simplest thing is just having like a meeting yeah. uh, in their organization. How should I think about that? Do they need to go out and find you or someone like you or can they do it? On their own. Two-prong two approach, right? Super simple to get Rose Thorn Bud, yep. right? That's massive quick yep. uh, exercise. Uh, another one at the end of every meeting, so think big and fail fast, so n- don't be afraid. Be fearless and courageous in getting feedback. Mm-hmm. At the end of the meeting, you can start it tomorrow. Do an I like, I wish. So mm-hmm. everyone goes around the table and says one thing that they liked and one thing that they wished about time bound at this project yeah. or this meeting. Or right. this this last deliverable that we put in. Yeah. So you're getting rapid feedback. You're not insulating yourself with the the confidence um, and the uh, the quixotic belief that you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You're you're piercing the veneer and you're making a better a, a better thing. Right. Right. So I like I wish super simple rose thorn bud super simple. Um, the affinity clusters, anybody who's like listening actively can start to find those those synergies and yeah. build upon those ideas. So I, I would take it in two ways. I would I, there's so much literature. IDEO is phenomenal. Uh, Stanford University, where the founder of IDEO teaches and started right. a design school, um, has just wonderful materials out there. So if you are hungry to do things better, and do things in a way that sticks and doesn't waste people's time and your time and starts to get outcomes. And by God, we've got a lot of you know big, hairy challenges in the world like yeah. climate change, and we need good ideas that stick. Mm-hmm. Then, then the world's your oyster. The materials are out there. So I would take a two-prong approach. Start flirting with and, and incorporating some of these simpler ideas. And so that starts to acculturate and, and get people attuned to it. And then bring in a professional. Yeah. Uh, facilitator, but ask that that facilitator train the trainer. Ask that that facilitator teaches you how to fish. Mm -hmm. So almost always when we have time, I go meta and I break the fourth wall and I say, I'm going to pause here. Guys, the reason that we did this exercise or we did these series of exercises, you can see how it builds. You can see how it breaks you out of your conviction that this was the problem and how it shows you that there's a multitude of problems. And if you don't answer at least a fraction of these, you're going to set yourself up for failure if you're not dealing with the governance or the funding or the skilling or the change management aspect. You're letting them peek behind the curtain. That's exactly right. Breaking the fourth wall. John, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. That's a, that's a radio voice. That's, uh, that's my radio voice. I, uh, I used to be on the radio, John. I don't know if I mentioned that. I don't, I don't think you mentioned it. But maybe. <laughs> Thanks so much. This is, this is great. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick note that the show is supported by you, the listener. If you would like to support the show, please consider sharing it or please consider leaving a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you would like to financially support the show, please head over to my Patreon page. I have some new tiers set up so you can get some good uh, gear, some Policy Viz podcast gear, should you be interested in that. And uh, I have a couple more episodes till the end of the year. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about those interviews uh, to wrap up here. 
uh, before we turn over to 2020. So I hope you're well. I hope you will uh, keep in touch and let me know how things are going. And uh, of course, if you have ideas for guests, uh, please do uh, let me know. Um, I'm of course looking for guests for later in 2020. So if you have some ideas and people you'd like to support and hear from, uh, let me know. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.